Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Would you please take what is yours and uh, teach it to us and apply it to our hearts. Uh, We pray that you do that, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off tonight, uh, most of you know, but I want to read this definition of a civil war. You know, always someplace in the world there is a civil war going on. A civil war is a war between organized groups within the same state or country, or less commonly between two countries created from a formerly united state. The aim of one side may be to take control of the country or a region, to achieve independence for a region, or to change government policies. The bottom line is this. A civil war happens when two kings are trying to rule the same land at the same time. If you read 2 Samuel 1 through 4, you understand why I start with a definition of civil war. The bottom line is this. A civil war happens when two kings are trying to rule the same land at the same time. You know, that's not just true uh, in a geopolitical sense. Uh, There's a friend I have who has a daughter, and I'm sure I've told you this story before. And the daughter had a wonderful young woman, had grown up in church, and at a certain point in her life decided that that life was no longer for her. And so she wandered off into horrible, horrible things, and her parents um, finally caught up with her and confronted her and said, you understand what you're doing is not according to the Bible, et cetera, et cetera, and this young woman said this, "Uh, yes, I know that. I don't want to think about that right now. I just want to be happy. Civil war. On the inside, two kings competing over the same country, (laughs) the, the country of that person. So a civil war geopolitically can also help us understand a little bit about a civil war going on inside of us. So what I want to do is walk through 2 Samuel 1 through 4, and we'll talk about it, and then we'll try to make some applications I'm telling you, this is, this is uh, a little freaky to me. Uh, I, these lessons, as you know, have been interrupted um, along the way, especially the past couple of months, so that I didn't know what day this lesson would fall. You are going to think you're hearing echoes of Cody's sermon <laughs> in this lesson. So I figure God wants to tell me something first and foremost, <laughs> uh, and maybe he wants to remind you of something as well. You're going to hear some funny, funny (laughs) parallels that the Lord wants to communicate to all of us tonight. 2 Samuel, monarchy. I'm not doing a, a, you know, who wrote it and when because we've already covered that in 1 Samuel. Remember, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel are just Samuel. If you're reading your Hebrew Bible, there would be a book of Samuel, basically, 
okay? And so all the same things that applied to 1 Samuel apply to 2 Samuel. So we're just going to dive into 2 Samuel about the monarchy. Where are we? We're in a time of transition from no king under Samuel to our king, Saul, to God's king, David. When we left off in chapter 31 of 1 Samuel, Saul is dead, and so is his dynasty. Remember, Samuel had told him because of his failure to um, obey the Lord's word to kill all the Amalekites. Remember, the Lord said, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you and give it to somebody who's better than you. And that person is David. And so now Saul is dead, and so is his dynasty. The kingdom has been turned over to God's king, David. But right now, Israel is a house divided. Some follow David in Judah. Others are following Ishbosheth, who's from Benjamin, which is where Saul is from, as well as some of those what will become the northern tribes. So some are following David, others are following Ishbosheth. And these four chapters remind us and teach us that no kingdom can tolerate two kings. No geopolitical kingdom can tolerate two kings. First four chapters. The true king's trials. He starts off with, remember the, uh, the fellow who came and said, I'm an Amalekite and I killed Saul? That, that wasn't really a good thing for him to do. <laughs> Didn't really work out as he had probably thought it would. End result, David said to one of his men, kill him. So the man thrust his sword into the Amalekite and killed him. You have condemned yourself, David said, for you yourself confess that you killed the Lord's anointed one. So the enemies lie. This is the true king. The true king is David. The true king's trials. First is, what does he do with an enemy's lie? <laughs> he takes care of it. He dispatches the enemy. Second, he goes on, and what does he do? He composes a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan. And um, he teaches everyone to sing that song that takes through the rest of chapter 1. And so there is a nation's funeral with heartfelt mourning for Saul and Jonathan. And who's leading the way of that? The true king, who has compassion even on, you know, maybe his enemies. Uh, chapter 2, then, we've, then we begin to get a little bit into the intrigue of what's going on. Uh, David asks the Lord, chapter 2, should I move back to one of the towns of Judah? Yes, the Lord replied. Then David asked, which town should I go to? To Hebron, the Lord answered. And so off they go to Hebron. He also thanks the, the men of Jabesh Gilead who had, remember they had retrieved Saul's body and brought it back and given it a proper burial. Verse 8, but Abner, son of Ner, Commander of Saul's army had already gone to Mahanaim with, with Saul's son, Ishbosheth. That will be on the final. Ishbosheth. And you will have to spell that from memory. <laughs> there he proclaimed, 
What? What? Who proclaimed? Abner did. Did God proclaim Ishbosheth king? No. There he, Abner, proclaimed Ishbosheth king over Gilead, Jezreel, Ephraim, Benjamin, the land of the Asherites, and all the rest of Israel. Okay? And so we find out that we've got two kings in two parts of the same kingdom. Verse 12. Oh, wait, 1 through 11. Yeah, okay. So we, now we have a king's challenger. So the true king's trials. He's faced an enemy's lie. He's held a national funeral. And now he's enduring a challenger. Who has been anointed by God to be the king over Israel? David. Challenger from Abner. Abner has put Ishbosheth up there and said, This is the king. What happens? <clears throat> Not so good. One day, Abner led Ishbosheth's troops from Mahanaim to Gibeon. About that same time, Joab, now these are the guys you got to keep straight, Abner and Joab. Abner is with Ishbosheth, Joab is with David. They take their armies and they decide we'll settle this 12 on 12 next to a pool. One of them has this great idea. Hey, I got a great idea. You pick 12 guys, I'll pick 12 guys. Let's just have them fight it out right here. What happens? <laughs> they kill each other right then and there. <laughs> Pandemonium breaks out, and they start chasing Abner and all of his men to kill him. And so here's Abner running along, and he got Asahel. Remember this part of the story? Asahel is swift as a gazelle. So he's chasing Abner, and he's got to be close, right? How do you know that? Because Abner, the, the wily, probably a little bit older general, goes... <laughs> with his, the staff of his spear behind him, and it goes through Asahel. And that's why Asahel winds up with this sword, or this uh, spear, but the butt end first, not the... <laughs> and he falls to the ground. He's dead. Well, now Asahel's two brothers aren't going to give up. So they're now pursuing Abner. And finally Abner says, why should we be killing each other? And they all decide they should go home. And so they go home, which begins the civil war between, basically between Judah and what will become many of the northern tribes later on. So Israel is at war. Now, I have a real king that's anointed by God, and I have a fake king. Ishbosheth. So far, so good? Okay. Uh, let's see. Chapter 3, verse 1. That was the beginning of a long war between those who were loyal to Saul and those loyal to David. As time passed, David became stronger and stronger, while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. Now, interesting, the people, who do the people love? They love David. But they're unwilling to overthrow Ishbosheth. Hmm. So a civil war is breaking out all over the place. And that's really chapter three and chapter four because now, oh my gosh, other crazy things happen, right? Um, Ishbosheth accuses, oh, maybe that's in here, hold on. 
Mm. Yeah. Okay. Saul's dynasty has been terminated. I think Laurie gave you a hand out of that from uh, 1 Samuel 15. That's where the Lord said he's going to take Saul's kingdom away from him, including his dynasty. And so you can see the family tree of Saul. Uh, Ishbosheth and Abner reject God's king. Who's God's king? David. David's reign and right to rule have been challenged and, well, first rejected and then challenged. They lay claim to a throne that isn't theirs. Ishbosheth is the puppet, Abner is the power behind the throne. The end is conflict, death, and sorrow. You, you go on through this, and in chapter, chapter 3, um, ah, verse 6, As the war between the house of Saul and the house of David went on, Abner became a powerful leader among those loyal to Saul. One day, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, accused Abner of sleeping with one of his father's concubines. Abner was furious. Am I some Judean dog to be kicked around like this? He shouted. After all I've done for your father Saul and his family and friends by not handing you over to David, is this my reward that you find fault with me about this woman? May God strike me and even kill me if I don't do everything I can to help David get what the Lord has promised him. Well, that's weird. I'm going to take Saul's kingdom and give it to David. I will establish the throne of David over Israel as well as Judah all the way from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. Ishbosheth didn't dare say another word because he was afraid of what Abner might do. So Abner sends his messengers to David and say, say uh, hey, I'm going to give you the, this whole part of the kingdom. And David says, okay, but you've got to first bring me Michael. Remember the Saul's daughter that he married? <laughs> so Abner does that. <laughs> Steals her away from her husband. Uh, so they come up, they uh, basically make an agreement. David sends Abner home. Just then, Joab, so remember, Joab is with David. Abner is with Ishbosheth. Joab finds out that Abner was there. It's like a soap opera. He finds out, hey, David, why were you talking to that guy? Don't you know he killed my brother? And so Joab secretly sends some guys to go get Abner and bring him in under the pretense of wanting to tell him something more. And so they do that, and what do these boys do? They kill Abner. David says, whoa, I knew nothing about this. And so he composes more funeral songs and goes on a fast, and that way all Israel knows David had nothing to do with this. Uh, let's see. When Ishbosheth, chapter 4, Saul's son, heard about Abner's death at Hebron, he lost all courage, and all Israel became paralyzed with fear. Now, two other brothers show up, and again, they think they're doing a good thing, and so the girl who's guarding the, uh, 
the door, falls asleep. These fellows sneak in, and while Ishbosheth is sleeping, they remove his head from his body, and they run out of town with it, and they take it to David. And they're expecting, probably, David to go, Yay! <laughs> Woohoo! Thank you, guys! Instead, what do they get? <laughs> You know, somebody else did this to me <laughs> with Saul, and it didn't wind up so well for them, and it's not going to wind up so well from you. Kill him. <clears throat> he takes them both out right then and there. David orders his young men to kill them, and they did. They cut off their hands and feet and hung their bodies beside the pool in Hebron. Then they took Ishbosheth's head and buried it in Abner's tomb in Hebron. The false king's treachery. He's from Saul's terminated dynasty. He's a part of rejecting God's king, laying claim to a throne that isn't his, and the end is conflict, death, and sorrow out of, this, out of these four chapters. It's really a tale of two kings, chapters one through four. The true king, David, seeks unity and peace under his reign. He's obedient, righteous, and compassionate, and waits patiently for followership. The false king, Ishbosheth, rejects God's word and will in favor of his own agenda. He claims what is no longer his. Uh, there, he's, he has rebels, or he rebels, promoting disunity, confusion, and death. And he asserts his pretend authority out of pride and need. A tale of two kings David, God's king, Ishbosheth, Abner's king. God's king and Abner's king. God's king and Abner's king. A tale of two kings trying to rule the same land at the same time, resulting in civil war. No kingdom can tolerate two kings. And what was true in the nation of Israel then is true in our lives today. No kingdom can tolerate two kings. They were at civil war. We are at civil war. Remember what I told you about that young woman? I, I know I know what's right, but I don't want to think about that right now. I just want to be happy. There's a declaration of civil war inside a person, which you and I can relate to. We're at civil war when we give the Lord a portion of our heart, but retain another portion for, in quotes, Ishbosheth. When we give the Lord a portion of our heart, 
but retain another portion for the other king, the false king, the pretend king. When we grow complacent about our divided allegiance and tolerate having two kings, Jesus and ourself, over the land of man's soul, we are at civil war. When we justify allowing things to remain outside of God's will, even knowing one day they'll only rebel and cause trouble, we are at civil war on the inside. When Ishbosheth is in charge, in our private lives, we're typically characterized by self determination, self reliance, and prayerlessness. When Ishbosheth is in charge, it can be characterized by self indulgence. For instance, lust, materialism, etc. Cody reminded you of some respectable sins this morning. If you haven't purchased that book yet, I own no stock in the company or the book, but you should get it. And you should read it. In our private lives, when Ishbosheth is in charge, we can live by the win then principle. You familiar with that? When these things line up this way, when I get to this whatever, right? Whatever the destination is that you're trying to reach. When all these things, then I will do whatever it is that I know I should be doing. But not until then. When this lines up, when I, you you fill in the blank. When, I, uh, when my work schedule finally gets um, situated, normal, uh, kind of on cruise control, then I'll serve. Uh, when my financial house gets in order, then I'll give. Um, when I can get, you know, when I get myself to wake up at my alarm clock uh, earlier in the morning by 15 minutes, then I'll pray. We all play this win-then game. When Ishbosheth is in charge, that's the way we live our lives in private. In public, we focus on self-importance and self-promotion. We practice situational morality. Uh, In our public lives, we can uh, not only have, but, uh, I don't know why I wrote unbiblical mood. I wonder what I meant by that. I don't know what I mean by that. Maybe you should just strike that out. I don't know what that means. Temper or words. We're going to, um, well, I'm going to go to the next one. Because what's what's more important is there's a pretense about us. 
or at least about me. Maybe not, maybe this doesn't apply to you. But it's more important to appear than to be. It's more important to wear the mask that makes me look like I've got it all together than to be honest. That's just spiritual hypocrisy. So in our private lives, when Ishbosheth is in charge, these things can be true of us. In our public lives, we're way more going to focus on, I look good, and I need to look really good, and in front of you, I just need to look one better. If you're at a seven, I'm an eight. You don't think this happens? Hmm? No, you don't think this happens? Okay, good, good. Because it does. <laughs> the false king's treachery. We did this when we were in Joshua and we looked at Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. Ishbosheth calls to us from the other side of the wall. And he says to me, Bill, remember when this, whatever this is, used to be so satisfying to you? Like, let's just say, um, cussing. Bill, remember in college, you just let, I could make a sailor blush. Bill, remember just how good you felt when you let loose with a string of those things? Remember how it just took your stress level down? Remember that, Bill? You should probably do that again. Did you see the way that person, what? You, yeah. Could be driving. Could be somebody sends me an email. I don't know. And I go, you know what I think about this and about you? <laughs> I start typing. Uh, I usually type in Word first so that I never hit send. <laughs> I really don't. Whoops, we'll get there. But Ishbosheth calls to me through the wall and says, Bill, remember what this was like? What does Ishbosheth want me to do? Remember we talked about in Romans 5, 6, 7, 8. What is my goal? I'm to be walking to Jesus. Walk away from the wall. Walk away from the wall. What does Ishbosheth do? He wants me to come closer to the wall. And he wants me to press my ear up against the wall. Yes? Yes, Ishbosheth, I remember. I remember that. Who's the false king? Ishbosheth. What is he telling me? A lie. Why do I listen to him? I don't know. I don't know when Ishbosheth whispers to you most clearly. Uh, for me, it'll be in the middle of the night. You ever had that? You know, your body wakes up, but you can go back to sleep, but when your brain wakes up, you're up. When your brain wakes up, remember we've talked about like A through Z, start praising God, A through Z, start worshiping, doing things like that. Sometimes I'll listen to Ishbosheth. And he says, you know what? Somebody wronged you today, and you know it. 
oh, but, you know, forgive, forgive others as Christ has forgiven me. <sighs> oh, yeah. How's that working for you? You know, they wronged you, and you should probably do something about that tomorrow. Yeah, you know what? They did wrong me. You ever done that? And you start spiraling down in your brain, and you start rehearsing. You know what? They're going to say this, and here's exactly what I'm going to say back. And then they're going to say, and I'm going to say this. And before you know it, you're in this spiral. And it's a half an hour has gone by of you having this little pretend confrontation with this person. And guess what? I always win. I love these little spirals. I'm like, and that's the end of it. Mic drop, and I walk away. I don't get back to sleep after that. I'm too riled up. Why? Because I've just slowly crawled back over here, and I'm listening to the wall going, yes, Ishbosheth, I remember that. And Jesus is over here saying, remember, he's like the still small voice. Bill, how much have I forgiven you for? Well, uh, you know, okay, so maybe it was a lot. I don't know. <laughs> how about yesterday? I don't know. It's hard for me to remember what I had for dinner last night, so I don't really remember yesterday. Well, Bill, I do. <laughs> You know, and frankly, it's the same thing that we've talked about before, but I'm, I'm ready, willing, and able to forgive you again. What are you going to do with that person? You going to talk to that person? Yeah. Bill, leave it to me. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Just like Jonah, I knew you would be compassionate and gracious toward them. <laughs> And that's why I can't leave this in your hands. Don't tell me I'm the only sinner standing up here. So I walk to the left instead of to the right. You see, I know what the right thing is. I just don't want to think about that right now. I just want to be happy. And sometimes the only way we can be happy, in quotes, is if we entertain Ishbosheth in our brain. Why does that make us happy? It doesn't, but we somehow think it does. That's the crazy upside-down upside world we're in. So thankful for the Lord's mercy and grace every hour. As it will tell you in respectable sins, every hour I need a Savior. Not just once in my life. Every hour I need a Savior. Every hour I need a Savior. Remember Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, chapter 5 after I've had one of these little mole fests in my brain, I wake up strangely tired. I wake up and I think, oh, okay, I'm going to go have my quiet time now. 
So I go sit at my computer where my Bible is, and I sit down, and Lord, this what a great day. Thank you for this great day. I'm just going to start reading your word. I pray I'd hear from your spirit. Read, read, read. I can't get more than about two paragraphs. And, you know, it's then the Lord says, hey, 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 Bill, remember last night? Yeah. Anything we should take care of before you want to read my word? Well, I don't know, Lord, like, what do you have in mind? <laughs> like, okay, you know, confession is something that I do before you know it. It has to just kind of be like admission now because you already know it. So, yes, I'm angry at that person or I'm hurt by that person or, you know, name it, name it, name it, name it. Has this ever happened to you? Again, maybe I'm the only sinner up here. And I have to be reminded almost every morning of Romans 5. I have a new position and a new standing in Christ. He doesn't take me. Remember, I told you this before. It's like there's a pile of my sins that I created even since last night. And the Lord is standing over there, and here I am across. And he says, Bill, anything we need to take care of? I don't know how it got this big overnight, but here it is. <laughs> you know, and instead of the Lord, I got the shovel over here, and what do I think I'm supposed to be doing? <laughs> Start shoveling at my sins. Here we go. I got to take care of this again. You know, while the Lord sits there, and he's very gracious and gentle, with his arms folded and his foot tapping, waiting for me to finish my mess that I've made, right? It's like I've piddled on the rug and I gotta go take care of it. So he's very kindly waiting for me like this. You finished yet? What's taking you so long, Bill? No, it's nothing like that. It's where he sees I have the shovel, he sees the pile of sins again, he walks around this side and he says, you'll never get anywhere by yourself. Let me help you. And in one fell swoop, they're gone. And he says, hey, Bill, remember, I love you. We're good. We're good. Weren't you reading? Why don't you get back to that? There's no condemnation. Why? Because he's already taken care of that. I've got a new position and a new standing. What am I in the process of? Sanctification. Becoming more like Jesus. I'm on the right-hand side of the wall. I can never go to the left-hand side again. But I can walk closer to the wall or further away from the wall. And he says, I want you to walk further away from the wall. And so that's why we walk through Romans 6 and 7 and 8. And at the end of the day, I have to remember... Unless the Spirit does it, it's just more do's and don'ts. I'm just not going to think about that person that way again. You ever try that? Just exert my will. Does it work? So before you get back to reading, you may have to say, you know, Lord, um, right now, 
I'm still kind of fuming over that whole thing. Because uh, I've been wronged. And I know that it's not going to be made right. And then he reminds me, yeah, I kind of know the feeling. I kind of know the feeling. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> of course you do, Lord. <laughs> hey, Bill, you trust me? One day, I'm going to take care of it. You trust me? I'm trying. I'm trying. If I need your spirit to work in me, got it. That's why I sent him to you. That's why he lives in you, to do that kind of work. Ready to give it another go again today? Yeah, let's give it another go today. Now you can read. Now you can get back at it. When we start walking toward the wall, don't forget to go to the Lord with it. He, guess what? He already knows. <laughs> You're not pulling anything over on him. So you might as well stop. <laughs> Just confess it for what it is and how ugly it is and how it doesn't look like him at all. But instead of being met with shame and guilt or condemnation, you're met with, Bill, I love you. I'm here to help you. In fact, you need a Savior today, don't you? Yes, Lord, I do. Yes, Lord, I do. Guess what you're going to need in an hour? A savior. <laughs> That's what I'm here for, Bill. We're walking together. I haven't, you know, patted you on the rear end and said, off you go. Off you go. See you in a few years. <laughs> I'm going to walk with you every step. Because you know what you're going to need? You're going to need me. You're going to need me. So just remember when these things happen, Ishbosheth's dynasty and power have been terminated. He is a false king and he's just out for treachery and death and horrible things for you. He does not have your best interest at heart. Even though you think he does for a time, he does not. When David is in charge, we obey God's word by God's spirit. We believe God's will for our lives is best. You know where you are right now is God's will for your life? You figured that part out? <laughs> You're like, but I, uh, I don't like where I am, or I don't know where I am, or I don't know. Yeah, okay. Right? Remember Psalm 32, 8 and 9? We talked about that last week. I will lead you along the best pathway for your life. Wherever you are right now, you are in God's will for your life. And therefore, he is leading you, and he says, I will watch over you, and I will counsel you. He knows exactly where you are, and he has you right where you are because he knows that's where you need to be. There's something you need to learn, and me too. We believe God's will for our lives is best. We live all of our life, in private as well as in public, in an above-reproach manner. You know what one of the worst... Uh, um, Cody talked about um, 
the Trojan horse today. You know what the Trojan horse brings into, let's, let's just not talk about the church, let's talk about into your life and into my life. You know what the Trojan horse, you know what the Trojan horse Ishbosheth sends in? It's the one, it's got the, the army that's inside the Trojan horse is named compartmentalization. And you say, here's my Sunday compartment. And then here's my work week compartment. And I can live in compartments. And I can be one way on Sunday. And then I can be another way Monday through Friday. And as I compromise, that becomes the new normal. And I begin more and more compartmentalization. And I no longer am living an integrated life. A life of integrity that is integrated I make a difference between my private life and my public life. I make a difference between my church life, my church world, and my work life and my work world. And I may always have a smile on my face on Sunday, and everything is great and up and to the right. And Monday through Friday, I am heck to deal with wherever I am because I've started compartmentalizing my life. That's one of the things that... Ishbosheth has sent in in a Trojan horse and it jumps out of the Trojan horse and makes us start compartmentalizing our lives unless we're very much on guard for what that compartmentalization can do because it leads me to think, okay, the above reproach part, that, that's Sunday and for home group. Yep, those two compartments. That's where above reproach fits. So as long as I look good on Sunday, I don't cuss on Sunday, I don't, crazy, I'm going to tell you something crazy, I am crazy, but let me tell you something crazy, <laughs> we pay police officers to keep us safe around our campus. Um, it's my privilege to know many of them, um, as some are better friends than others, um, and I talk to them on a regular basis, and I thank them for what they're doing. And I always ask them, how did we do today? Do you know this? Almost without exception, they tell me how someone coming in here to worship has given them the one-finger wave or yelled at them or said, I'm not going, you tell me I can't turn left, I'm turning left. A police officer, don't turn left. They just say, there's an open parking space and I'm going. And then they come sit in a pew and they worship. <laughs> when we live in compartments, bad things begin to happen. So we have to live all of our life in private as well as in public in an above reproach manner. We need to pursue humility and unity everywhere. We pursue loyalty even if we've been rejected. And we find strength in the Lord rather than trying to strengthen our own hand when David is in charge. Some questions for you and some questions for me. Who's the king of your heart today? Really? 
Would those closest to you agree or disagree? Do you believe God's will for your life is best? Are there any areas of your life you're withholding from David for Ishbosheth? Are there any areas of your life you're allowing to remain outside of God's word and will, knowing that one day those inhabitants will rebel? and cause trouble. At its root, our problem is one of unbelief. We don't believe the Lord has redeemed us for an abundant life. Perhaps we're more like the young person I described earlier. I don't want to think about that right now. I just want to be happy. You might say to me, I don't think it's about unbelief. Let me illustrate. Uh, I've read some things about um, sugar, refined sugar. Now, this is not going to be a health lesson, okay? But I've read some things about refined sugar. I've read articles that inform me having too much refined sugar is bad for me. It's bad for my weight, it's bad for my blood sugar, it's bad for my general health. Okay? Now, if I believed this, I'd cut back immediately on eating too much refined sugar, like candy. The problem is, I love candy. And I'm going to eat candy. At the end of the day, I just don't believe cutting back on refined sugar is better for me and offers me a better life. Because if I believed that, I would stop eating refined sugar. Do you see the point? At the end of the day, I just don't believe not sinning is the best path for my life. And so just like sugar, I've already decided I don't believe that. And so I'm not going to stop it. That is the root of our problem. Unbelief. And so those nights when you're wrestling or those days when you're wrestling or you're staring at your computer screen or at your Bible and the Lord whispers and says, Hey, Bill, anything we need to take care of? And you say, Nope, Lord, I think we're good. I might suggest to you, talk to him about unbelief. Is that weird for me to say that to you? I one time frightened my home group because a, a fella was at the end of group. Everybody's laughing and they'd had too much coffee, I think. And they're sitting around and one guy said something to me and I said, you know, I could be a pretty good Christian if it wasn't for my mistrust and unbelief. And he went, I mean, it's this look on his face. Went, he said, wait, you're, you're the executive pastor and an elder. I said, yeah. He said, you don't believe? You're not a Christian? And I said, that's not what I said. I said, my mistrust of God and my unbelief. And he went, oh. I mean, his whole world is rocking underneath him. 
And I just said, I think if you were honest, you would be able to say the same thing. And he said, I believe, Lord, I believe. It's like, we're not talking about I don't believe unto salvation. I said, you asked some way, somehow we got on this topic that I could be a pretty good Christian if it wasn't for a mistrust in God and unbelief. And he said, you mistrust God? And I said, of course I do. And I behave like it every day. He couldn't, he, he, he's running off. This is before our two elders' time. But, you know, this guy was probably, he's probably called all those old elders. Bill doesn't believe and he doesn't trust God. And he, Man, I'm just telling you like it is. Every day, I wonder. You know, God's never failed me, but today could be that day. So I'd better hold some trust right back here in myself. Because if I give him everything, little too risky. Unbelief, sugar, probably, probably, refined sugar is bad for you, probably. But I'm not going to stop eating candy. (laughs) So why? Because I just don't believe that having no sugar is a better life for me. Those are the things that we have to wrestle with the Lord all the time. And guess what? He already knows. So anything you need to take care of, Bill? Sure, Daddy. Today, um, I'm going to behave unconsciously like I mistrust you. And today, I'm going to behave with unbelief. Would you help me with both of those? Love to, Bill. Love to. I'm on it. Now you know. We have a wonderful Lord. A wonderful Lord. And I need a Savior every hour of every day. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Some of us need to tonight, Joshua said this at the end of the book of Joshua, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors, uh, prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Some of you tonight may need to drive a stake in the ground again and say, as for me and my household, we will have no other God in heaven but God. I will pray to no one else but him. And as far as his spirit will enable me, I will be 100%, show 100% allegiance to him. Tonight, you may need to drive that stake into the ground again and then walk forward accordingly. You've picked your king. He's picked you. Will you walk in light of that light and truth? For next week, easy assignment. 2 Samuel 5 and 6. If you struggled with today, four chapters. Next week is only two. You can do it. 2 Samuel Five and six. Let me pray for us, and we'll be on our way tonight. Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the reminder for me this morning of what I let into my life uh, will one day uh, turn on me. And for this lesson tonight from the Old Testament saying the same thing, that what I let into my life will one day turn on me. Uh, Help me to continue in your spirit and in your word, continue to address uh, my mistrust and unbelief. Uh, You are nothing but trustworthy, nothing but trustworthy, and nothing but completely um, reliant, uh, good, kind, and all the time. And so there's no reason for me to um, demonstrate unbelief, but you know how much I struggle. I struggle with mistrust and I struggle with unbelief. And so thank you for knowing that about me. Even uh, before uh, I knew you, you knew me, you knew I struggled with that, and that you're even now at work in that in my life through your spirit and through your word, and I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Uh, Would you continue to work in us as well? Uh, Continue to help us believe Jesus and walk to the right, walk away from the wall, and not listen to Ishbosheth, but keep on walking to the right knowing that the life you have, uh, the life described by your word and your will for our lives, is the best for us, and we want that. Thank you for loving us that way and for giving us all those great things. We love you, we thank you, and we pray you'd be with us this week in a very special, personal way. We ask for it all, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.